This is Asha Voices, I'm J.D. Gray. Today on the podcast, SLPs share stories of career changes. We hear from an SLP who founded a nonprofit and a burned out SLP whose whole career changed during an unexpected moment in a routine phone call. These SLPs took a risk or made a move and their careers were never the same. Hear how they're applying their skills and knowledge to entirely new challenges. Plus, an SLP finds she's reached her limit in the clinical setting when stories of patients' injuries begin to show up in her dreams. Hear where she went next. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Assessment, Eligibility, and Dismissal in Schools, Strategies, Tools, and Decision-Making. This continuing education opportunity begins October 12th. Learn more at on.asha.org slash schools OLC 22. When you feel like you've had enough of a specific job, focus, or career, sometimes you have to make a move. But figuring out the first step can be difficult. If you've ever looked at someone and thought, how do I get that job? This episode is for you. You'll hear three stories of SLPs moving from something familiar to something new. It's a part of a larger Asha Later team effort to bring you stories of career changers. The September-October issue of the Asha Later includes a separate collection of career change stories, and you can read even more online exclusive profiles at leader.pubs.asha.org. If you're looking to make a change, find the blueprint in the stories of your peers. And find Asha resources to help you make the changes you need on our website, at on.asha.org slash podcast. And now it's time to meet our first SLP. I'm Erin Mattingly. I'm the Director of Strategic Development at Loyal Source Government Services. And I provide medical operations and oversight to primarily humanitarian efforts that Loyal Source supports right now. Before Erin was involved with administering healthcare services, before she led large projects for companies like Loyal Source, and before she was introduced to working as a government contractor, Erin was a clinician. In 2014, I was working at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center at a facility called the National Intrepid Center of Excellence and was a speech pathologist there treating active duty service members with a comorbid traumatic brain injury and psychological health diagnosis, working primarily with special operators in particular. Erin worked with that patient population for years, but at the time, her job was beginning to have a troubling effect on her. Even though I loved the work and it was incredible, I was starting to actually have dreams about some of my patients' stories and their experiences, and it was impacting you know, my personal life as well as my professional life. And so I realized that for my own health, I needed to take a step back. Erin wanted new opportunities. She wanted new skills and growth, so she decided to pick up the phone. My peer and colleague at Walter Reed had left to join government contracting and I knew that she had done that. And so I gave her a call and just said, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing now and what it looks like? And are you enjoying it? That phone call would change the course of Aaron's career. That colleague told Aaron that, yes, there were opportunities available. Soon, Aaron joined the government contracting firm. It was a big change with a steep learning curve. Because of that, she leaned on her network. Living in D.C., um, I have lots of friends and colleagues who were in the government contracting space. As I grew in my 
knowledge about what that looked like, I was able to connect with some of them and network and learn more about other opportunities, but also what it looked like from a traditional consulting background. Aaron began to navigate the world of government contracting. Initially, when I left clinical care, my day-to-day was really writing what, you know, what are called white papers or research papers around traumatic brain injury care in the Department of Defense for this project that we were supporting. So that was a beautiful transition because it was what I was already familiar with and the patients that I had been treating. Erin's work looks different today. Now she works for Loyal Source Government Services. She's using her clinical knowledge and administrative experience to meet healthcare needs as a part of large projects. I am now more involved in the operations of things. So overseeing these humanitarian efforts and setting up medical operations of you know, upwards of 500 different medical providers to support everything from refugee care to persons in custody at, at the border and those kind of things. When Erin left the clinical setting, she was looking for leadership opportunities. And in our conversation, she pointed to the skills and experience she's gained in recent years. I'm developing business. I'm writing proposals in response to requests for proposals that the government sends out. So there's a lot of technical writing involved. I am managing finances. I am building teams. It's grown from that initial kind of writing research papers to now it's a broader kind of oversight of things. And then also because I now understand the business side, the ability to kind of hone in on where we need different strategy and how to grow business. Erin is still relying on her background as a clinician. That experience makes a difference in the work she's doing today. I think one thing that I have been told and that I feel is that having my first career, if you will, having the, those nine, 10 years of clinical experience really brought me in as a different type of consultant. So I really understood the ins and outs of medical care, having provided it. Whereas a lot of people who are in the consulting field may not have actually ever been involved in the field medical care to understand the ins and outs of, of treating a patient or what patient experience might be or what provider experience might be. I was able to really come in with a unique skill set, which luckily the company that I joined valued and appreciated. One thing about Aaron's story that shows up in many of the other stories that I've heard, CSD professionals often have skills that translate and can be applied in many creative and sometimes surprising ways. I asked many of the podcast guests for takeaways they might want to share with their peers, and Aaron talked about this very concept, highlighting many of the soft skills held by SLP clinicians. There are so many opportunities out there that will value our skill set because really, you know, you're coming in with a strong administrative background because you're writing patient documentation all day. So you are ha- you have the ability to write, you understand goal setting and strategy behind that, and you understand how to be a conscientious employee and client relationship manager. I mean, these are all things that tie to the role that I'm doing now in business that I learned as a clinician. So don't sell yourself short. If you're looking for a change, see what else is out there. Erin says it's been important to her to stay active in the SLP community. Recently, she published a paper in the ASHA journal Perspectives and served on ASHA Special Interest Group 2, a SIG that focuses on neurogenic communication disorders. Erin says, quote, I would never want to let any of my SLP skill set or knowledge lapse because it has been so important to where I am 
in helping me understand some of the medical operations pieces of the work that we do at Loyal Source. End quote. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, two more SLPs share their stories of career changes. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Assessment, Eligibility, and Dismissal in Schools, Strategies, Tools, and Decision-Making. From October 12th through the 24th, this continuing education opportunity will address all aspects of conducting assessments, determining eligibility and dismissal criteria, and identifying and providing appropriate services for students of all ages. You can earn up to 1.65 ASHA CEUs. Learn more at on.asha.org slash schoolsolc22. My name is Amy Crooks. I am a speech-language pathologist. I have 25 years of clinical experience, and I also have 15-plus years of experience working as a utilization manager or prior authorization clinical reviewer. With the insurance field. If you're wondering who is reviewing your documentation, one of those people might be Amy. She works for Magellan Healthcare today, reviewing paperwork and claims. When Amy decided to make the change and become a clinical reviewer, it came on the heels of decades of clinical service in many different settings. Amy was beginning to feel the effects of burnout in her clinical life. It just stopped being a career I loved and turned into a job I didn't want to do anymore. So I knew I needed to find something else, but the big question was what kind of job could offer me a similar salary using my clinical experience and education without doing direct patient care. Amy wasn't aware of positions like the one she has today. That is until one day when, similar to Aaron, she received a phone call that changed everything. Amy's call came from Blue Cross, who was reviewing paperwork Amy had submitted. It was on that call that Amy asked a question, and the voice on the line would reveal a new path. She introduced herself as an SLP, and I couldn't believe it. So after we finished discussing the patient's case, I asked her if she got that kind of a job. And we talked about it for a little bit. And then she said that she was leaving the position to move back home and asked if I was interested. And I thought, this is perfect timing. So I went for it. Amy got the job. She says she was nervous but learned a lot from the position, staying with Blue Cross for a decade before joining Magellan. But it's important to note those early parts of Amy's career, the time she spent as a clinician, they inform her work even to this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have had a wide array of patient settings that I've worked in, ages, uh, populations, and I have 25 years of experience implementing and developing treatment plans. I've assisted with the patient dynamics and overall interdisciplinary programs. The clinical experience is really key to make sure that you get it right on the reimbursement end. Amy notes that an SLP reviewing paperwork knows exactly what to look for in the notes. At some point, the patient has to be represented on paper to be reimbursed. And if the documentation isn't clearly stated and isn't well-defined and specific, that's actually a disservice to the patient. We need to work together as SLPs to make sure that they're represented and that whoever is on the other end looking at the reimbursement aspect 
can understand what's going on with that patient so that the patient can get the services that they need. This story begins with Amy feeling the effects of burnout. The question is, ultimately, did the move work for Amy? The answer seems to be yes in this case. I love my job again, and I call it the second phase of my career. What takeaways does Amy have to offer other SLPs? For any SLPs who are considering a role as a prior authorization clinical reviewer, she recommends getting as much clinical experience as possible and working with different age groups and in different settings. She says her job today is on the computer, and it can be hard to step away from patient care. But she adds, If you really are ready to give up that patient contact, then this is something that is challenging and It's a wonderful way to make a career change that's still in our field. Read a blog post from Amy on the Ash Leader website. It's titled, What Do Insurers Look For in Your Claims? You'll find a link to it on the blog post for this episode at on.asha.org slash podcast. Now for our final career change story. Unlike Aaron and Amy, who needed a change from their clinical work and made a jump, our next SLP decided to make a move that had been on her mind for a long time when she saw an opportunity in the early days of the pandemic. My name is Tana Neufeld. I am trained as a speech language pathologist, and I'm currently acting as director of Accessible. And it is a nonprofit focused on supporting communicators and families with complex communication needs who use AAC. That's Accessible, spelled with a capital AAC at the beginning to highlight the nonprofit's focus on augmentative and alternative communication. I opened my nonprofit about two years ago and decided to do that because I really wanted to take what I knew as a clinician and what I felt uniquely qualified to do and share that information with other professionals and with families and communicators in a way that was really accessible to them, both financially and by offering it in the virtual and remote space of an online website. Tana began to see the possibility of running the nonprofit virtually as so many people were becoming familiar with connecting online because of the pandemic. Before, I might have made a lot of excuses as to why I wouldn't pursue a virtual experience like this. But with COVID, everybody became comfortable and it was a great opportunity to really make these ideas come to life. When she decided to start the nonprofit, Tana was coming to it with experience as a clinician working in private practice. The experience and skills Tana gained from that work prepared her for this new phase in her career. But there was still more to learn. I mean, there's obviously a lot of challenges in doing something new, especially something that's not clinical when I was trained to be a clinician. So I think a lot of the business side was a little intimidating. How would I make sure that I created the right tax documents? And how could I make sure that I was presenting my nonprofit in a way that was in line with rules and regulations? So some of those boring but super important things were really intimidating at first. Tana wrote a vision statement and a mission statement, and she made plans to meet her goals. She turned to mentors to get answers and gain confidence. I just tried to get people on my team that could support me with skills and talents that they had in those areas and did my best to research things um, kind of as I went along and just had faith in the process a little bit. Today, Tana says she's found that she's able to implement ideas that wouldn't have been possible in other settings she'd previously worked in. I don't have a lot of the financial hurdles of billing insurance and 
maintaining a productivity demand. And so I can be really creative and can do things that I didn't feel I was able to do for families and kids when I was in direct clinic work in my other settings. One of the things I really love about my nonprofit right now is I'm able to donate my time as a provider and my skills as an AAC specialist to both coaching professionals and coaching families who are looking for guidance with AAC for their children right now. At the end of our conversation, I asked Tana what she might want to share with other SLPs interested in making a change in their career. She had two lessons to share. One, just like with any business, starting a nonprofit takes a lot of time and effort and creativity and reiteration. And if your heart is not really at the core of what you're doing, it will be difficult to stay motivated. Tana's second takeaway. As an SLP, it's tempting to box yourself in as only having one set of skills. And what I really learned from opening this nonprofit is that I have a lot of soft skills and a lot of skills that are not directly related to being a clinician that really help this nonprofit be successful and feel really satisfying to be a part of. Tana Neufeld, she's the founder of the nonprofit Accessible. Find more stories of change or look for resources to make a change in your career. Visit on.asha.org slash podcast. Asha Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the Asha Leader magazine. Support for Asha Voices comes from Asha's online conference, assessment, eligibility, and dismissal in schools, strategies, tools, and decision-making, and it begins October 12th. Learn more at on.asha.org slash schoolsolc22. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.